Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, September 12. Tom Tilley and Katrina Blouse with you. Hey guys, so in this episode of The Briefing, the Queen's final journey, we are going to speak to an incredible Scottish reporter on the ground in Edinburgh. I think even in British history, we haven't really seen a funeral of this magnitude for a, a matter of centuries. First to today's headlines, starting with that journey of Her Majesty's coffin leaving Balmoral Castle. Well, thousands of mourners have lined the road to watch the Queen's coffin make a six-hour journey from Balmoral Castle in the Scottish countryside to Edinburgh overnight. She will lay in rest at Hollywood House, which is the royal family's official residence here in Scotland. There will be a procession from the palace up the Royal Mile to St Giles's Cathedral, where there will be a service there. That's Channel 10's Europe correspondent John Paul Gonzo in Edinburgh. So the Queen will lie in state there in Edinburgh for 24 hours. And then Princess Anne will accompany her late mother from the Edinburgh airport to uh, RAF Northolt on Tuesday evening, where she'll be met by the Guard of Honour from the King's Guard and be taken to Buckingham Palace before spending three days in Westminster Hall, where the public will be able to enter and pay their respects. And then the funeral will be held next Monday at Westminster Abbey. After that, she will be taken to St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle to be buried alongside her late husband, Prince Philip. Yeah, so what's been your reaction to the big news, Katrina? I've been covering it in Queensland all weekend and I have to say I probably misjudged the outpouring of public emotion. Mm. So I've been at Government House, which is Queensland's official mourning point. Just yesterday, more than two and a half thousand people came to the gates and came inside and laid flowers and handwritten notes and stuffed corgis and, you know, Mm. people of all ages too. It wasn't just elderly people. It was the very young teenagers So it really has affected people. Yeah, it's been absolutely huge. I was in a very different scenario over the weekend. I was doing a DJ set on top of a mountain in Queenstown. (laughs) And get this, the, the, the young punters, the young party animals came up to me and said, can you say something about the Queen? This is in the middle of a DJ set. So we pulled down the music paid our respects to the Queen and she got a huge cheer from this group of party animals on top of a snowy mountain. And it just goes to show that um, the love for the Queen spanned many generations. And I think, you know, it all just depends on on how old you are as to how you see her. For me, I'm about um, William's age and you're, you're in that kind of ballpark as well. So for us, she was kind of a grandmother figure. Yeah, definitely. And posthumously, she might have done the impossible and brought, speaking of William, William and Kate and Meghan and Harry back together. Um, Mm. They were all kind of playing, you know, could be happy families, but it did look quite genuine over the weekend as they um, they sort of joined forces once again. and, And people in the British public were super happy to see them back together. Yeah. Yeah, we all want to see that. And I think um, these really intense moments help us iron out some of the smaller issues in life and and focus on the big issues.
Well, King Charles is now officially Australia's monarch. That is the sound of cannons being fired in Canberra yesterday as Australia formally proclaimed the accession of King Charles III. So our Governor-General, David Hurley, swore loyalty to the new monarch following ceremonies across the UK at the weekend. And our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, announced a public holiday for Thursday, September 22. It will be a one-off national public holiday uh, to allow people to uh, pay their respects uh, for the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Anthony Albanese there also saying that any discussion about Australia becoming a republic is going to have to wait. I am of the personal view and I've made it uh, clear that now is the time for us to pay tribute to the life of Queen Elizabeth II, to give thanks uh, for her service to uh, Australia, to the Commonwealth and to the world. And uh, that is the focus that I have. Yeah, so that's Anthony Albanese talking to Sky News in the UK. And of course, um, the passing of the Queen is going to stir a lot of debate. It really brings to the fore that direct relationship we have with the UK and whether that does um, kind of fit modern Australia. So when the time's right, I think there'll be um, an increased or renewed focus on on that debate. Um, Yeah, clearly, I think there is Mm. um, a time for respect, though. There's also been people speaking out over the weekend who who don't really like what the Queen represents, that she represented the Mm. Commonwealth and the colonisation of countries like our own and and many others. Um, So for some Indigenous people, this hasn't been a moment of celebration at all. Well, the United States has commemorated the 21st anniversary of the September 11 attacks in New York. Yep, a tragic moment where the hijackers flew two planes into the Twin Towers at the World Trade Center in New York and one into the Pentagon just outside Washington. Uh, The fourth plane crashed into a field in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, But those attacks um, that landed killed almost 3,000 people. I hope we'll remember that in the midst of these dark days, we dug deep, we cared for each other, and we came together. We regained the light by reaching out to one another, finding something all too rare, a true sense of national unity. To me, that's the greatest lesson of September 11th. US President Joe Biden overnight. The attacks also claimed the lives of 10 Australians. Yeah, 21 years ago crazy, isn't it? It's, again, one of those moments, a bit like Princess Diana, actually, where you remember where you were. I was at at uni and watched it on TV and then gathered around the the library and watching a TV screen there with my fellow students and then actually went to New York just a few months after and saw all the flowers laid out and a a city and a country torn apart by, by grief and also anger at what had happened. Yeah, and it had a huge impact, of course, on foreign policy for for many, many, many years to come. Oh, yeah. It defined the next 10 years of foreign policy for America, basically, um, sparking first the war in Afghanistan, and then they ended up in a war in Iraq at the same time, and Mm. we all know how all of that ended. And five people have been killed in a major earthquake in Papua New Guinea. This was a 7.6 magnitude quake and it struck an eastern town called Kainantu. So the US Geological Survey did issue a tsunami alert after the quake hit yesterday morning, but subsequently has said that that threat has now passed. Um, The epicentre of the quake was about 480 k's from the capital Port Moresby and footage from um, the eastern highlands shows large cracks in walls and awnings 
during the quake. All right, in just a moment, we're crossing to Edinburgh for more on the Queen's final journey. Jacob Farr is a news reporter with Edinburgh Live. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. Where are we at right now in this process? So basically where we are is just a day on from the Queen's coffin being moved from Balmoral Castle, which is actually where the Queen had some of her happiest memories up in Aberdeenshire throughout her life. The Queen's coffin was moved from Balmoral Castle. It went through Dundee, Perth, and then to Edinburgh during a long six-hour journey. Now, it's currently laying in rest at the Palace of Holyrood House in Edinburgh, which is the bottom of the Royal Mile, if anyone knows Edinburgh's city centre. Now, this Mm. journey took around six hours and it's basically just going to sit there whilst the palace staff are able to pay their respects before it makes its way to St Giles Cathedral on Monday afternoon. So what did the Queen mean to the people of Scotland and how was that reflected in the scenes of the last 24 hours, particularly as she travelled through some of those country areas up north? I mean, up north, I think, especially in Balmoral, the Queen was considered a neighbour. This was a place where she would be able to go to the shops, although she never, when the Queen Mother was alive, as well as Camilla, who is the new Queen Consort, the wife of King Charles III, they were actually able to go to local toy shops and able to have, you know, a look around themselves without people approaching them for selfies or you know, hounding them down the streets, basically. So in Balmoral, it was it was basically a home away from home at Buckingham Palace. Now, in Edinburgh, I've, I personally have, have grown up in the city. I'm an Edinburgh, an, an Edinburgh lad, but I have never seen scenes like I, I saw today. There were thousands upon thousands of people lining the streets of the Royal Mile um, to say their farewells. To pay their respects, there were people, you know, as the as the coffin passed, myself, as I was reporting on it, there was just spontaneous rounds of applause. And it showed just how much the Queen meant to, you know, the people of Edinburgh. And these scenes were, were saw in Dundee. They were also seen in Aberdeen. It was something across, across the, the entire country where people came out in their droves to pay their respects. I was talking to Tom earlier, Jacob, about how here in Australia, I'm in the state of Queensland, about how I I kind of had underestimated just the intensity of emotion and the fondness for the Queen. And this is here in Australia. Tell us, what have people been saying to you about what she meant to them and why it is that they turned out in their thousands? I mean, for instance, there was one man that I spoke to who had served in the RAF which is the Royal Air Force of the United Kingdom. Now, what he had said to me is that the members of the armed forces in the UK always turn out for their own. And and that spoke volumes to me in the sense that he's seen the Queen as almost a comrade of himself, as, as a leader to himself. And he had just wanted to get dressed up with his medals and his hat and everything to come out here and pay his own respects. Now, 
there were other people that I'd spoken to who had travelled hundreds of miles. One man from the north of Wales had came all the way up to Edinburgh who was going to spend the next couple of days here before travelling back down to London to pay his own respects. I think for the Queen in the United Kingdom, she's seen as one of these public figures that has rarely put a foot wrong. Now, some people can argue, you know, the Diana affair and everything else was maybe one of those occasions, but over a sort of head of state career spanning, you know, seven decades, it's it was sort of incredible for people to look at a woman who really, in their eyes, didn't put a foot wrong. She was seen as, you know, the mother of a nation. She's gone through the Second World War, through, you know, the, the changes through Margaret Thatcher into the modern era. She was one of the first, well, she was the first monarch to have her coronation televised. And for the majority of people in the United Kingdom and Scotland, no one has known a different head of state other than Queen Elizabeth. You would have to be, you know, over the age of 80 to actually remember a different head of state. It was just last week that she was swearing in Liz Truss um, there at Balmoral Castle and, and people were noting that normally she would have come to Buckingham Palace, but she she didn't because of mobility issues. But was it a surprise that she she passed away so soon after that? I think it was a surprise. I mean, there was pictures circulating from Balmoral that the Queen looked okay, but if you had zoomed in on her hand, it looked you know, almost quite purple, quite quite aged. And I think for a lot of people, we're maybe thinking, okay, she's she's not in the best condition at this moment in time. And there had been hints and clues that she maybe wasn't quite up to what she would have been in the past. Now, the Queen would always, always, always deliver her duties. She would always show up. She would always you know, be there for whichever event that she had to be. But there was times at the coronation where she was ordered to rest and there were stand-ins in there. I think a lot of people were thinking we are, you know, coming to the end here. This is this is close to the end of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. But when she swore in Liz Trust, I think when the news broke a few days later, it did come as a bit of a sucker punch. Because a lot of people did feel if you're able to swear in a prime minister, then surely she must have still been in you know relatively good health. So it did, to an extent, come as a shock, even though people in recent years have thought that it was maybe coming to the time for the end of her reign. One of the things that I've really loved to observe is that every single element of uh, this particular process has some symbolism. Um, there were some flowers that were placed on top of her coffin that were um, from the Queen's own garden and the different wreaths and, and the different um, elements that were made up of those all had particular meanings. Tell us where to from here for, for her journey and, and what are some of those different symbolic steps that you know about? So tomorrow, for instance, when the Queen's coffin will be transported from the Palace of Holyrood House up to St Giles Cathedral. Now, that's probably around about half a mile of a journey. But again, we're expecting large crowds to turn out to watch that happen. But as she 
is placed into St Giles Cathedral, there will be a short service where the Crown of Scotland will be placed on top of the coffin during the cathedral service. Now, the coffin will then rest in St Giles Cathedral to allow the people of Scotland to pay their respects. This will be something that people will be able to do at 5pm, sort of our time. And they'll have a chance until tomorrow to be able to, you know, say their farewells and everything else to the monarch. But then Her Majesty's coffin will be flown from Edinburgh Airport to the RAF Norhall at around 6pm. And this will be accompanied by the Princess Royal. Now, it will then be driven there to Buckingham Palace, where it will rest in the ballroom. And that will be until Wednesday, where prayers will really be held at Buckingham Palace in front of the new king, Charles III, as well as the Queen Consort, Camilla, and members of the royal family. And the coffin from there will then be taken in procession to Westminster Hall. Now, the procession will include the new king as well as his fellow siblings, as in Princess Anne and, and Prince Edward and also Prince Andrew. Now, there'll be a gun salute as well as Big Ben will toll and the procession will arrive at Westminster Hall at 3pm on Wednesday. From there, we will have the Archbishop of Canterbury, who will conduct the ceremony. Now, the Queen will then lie in a state for four clear days, which will give you know, anyone from England, Wales and the rest of the United Kingdom a chance to be able to say their farewells. But this will come to an end at 6.30am on the day of the state funeral, which has been announced as Monday, September the 19th. It's an incredibly public process, isn't it? Um, you know, normally when a, a normal person, non-royal, dies, it, it becomes very private. But this this is an incredibly open process where the public get an extraordinary opportunity to get close to their, their queen. I think it speaks to the life that Queen Elizabeth II lived now. There was an effort following World War II and Queen Elizabeth coming to the throne where they tried to open up to the public. And I think that was immensely important for the monarch's survival in the United Kingdom. They've almost become celebrity-style figures. And it is fitting that people who almost feel like they have breathed and lived the life that Queen Elizabeth has, you know, if she ever goes on a foreign visit or a state visit abroad, back home, that's beamed to our televisions when we sit there and we have our dinner and everything else. I, I think for the people of Britain, we feel very involved with the royal family. And I think for their survival, it's very important that people do feel involved. I understand that for a lot of people, funerals are you know, private events. But I think in the United Kingdom, when you have a head of state, it is only fitting that you have that transparency and that feeling that people can be involved because she meant so much to so many people. When I think of the huge royal events in my lifetime, I mean, starting with Charles and Diana's wedding, which was enormous and televised, and then, you know, of course, um, Kate and William and Harry and Meghan's wedding also, um, Diana's funeral, another huge televised event. What can we expect from the Queen's funeral on Monday? How, how big will this be in comparison? So this will always be a, a 
a week tomorrow where the the funeral will take place. I think it will be an immensely sombre event. I I think even in British history, we haven't really seen a funeral of this magnitude for a, a matter of centuries. The Queen, as you've seen reported around the world, is considered the Queen. When you say that phrase, people think of Queen Elizabeth II. Now... The funeral will take place at 11 a.m. on Westminster Abbey, and there has been a bank holiday declared for that. So people will be able to have their opportunity to be able to mourn in their own way. It will be something that will completely dominate our, our TV schedule, all of the news sites. It, me speaking personally, as a local reporter in Edinburgh, the Queen's death has completely dominated our coverage because people just want to stay involved. They want to find out what is happening. And when the funeral takes place on uh, Monday, September the 19th, I think it will be something where most residents within the United Kingdom will tune into. They'll, they'll feel almost as if they are experiencing one of the biggest days of their lives. It's one of the largest historic events that anyone in my generation has lived through. And I think that's certainly true even for the older generations, uh, just due to the fact that Queen Elizabeth II spanned so many decades, oversaw so many transformations throughout her own history. And I also think that that's going to be true for people around the world, whether it's United Kingdom, whether it's in, um, in Australia, um, the United States, in Europe. I think it is something that everyone will want to be a part of and everyone will want to witness. Well, that's an amazing way to sum it up, Jacob. One of the, the biggest events in centuries that really puts um, the enormity of this in some historical context, well beyond just the context of our own lifetimes. Um, you've done a fantastic job, Jacob, in, in bringing us um, the sentiment there in the UK right now and the huge moment that we're all witnessing here with the passing of Her Majesty. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. Listener.